This podcast is a production of the Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, visit our website at www.communitycovenant.net. Just as in the book of Acts, we're going to read how people are raised up for leadership, they're equipped and sent out. So today we are going to uh, announce to you something you may already be aware of, but it's about sending and about someone going out from among us. And Pastor Jeff, come on up. I understand, that's right. I, I understand that God is doing something in your life right now. You want to share with us what that is? Yeah. Um, God is amazing. And over the course of the last year during my sabbatical, I really felt like God was affirming me in my call as a pastor. Um, that's part of our sabbatical is getting out there and praying and just, you know, exploring that. And part of that, I really felt like God was pushing me, uh, which is, he definitely has to push me because <laughs> I don't like school. But uh, he's like, hey, you need to go to seminary. And, uh, and so over the last six months or so, I've been praying about that, where to go and what to do. And, and God's like, Hey, next fall, you're, you're going. So, <laughs> okay. Now you're going to seminary. Uh, we're staying here. Uh, all right. <laughs> yeah. So what, what's your timetable and kind of tell us about that? Yeah. So just, uh, we, we announced it to the students last week and I'm sure some of you guys got a letter or an email this, uh, this week. And uh, my timetable is I'm going to stick around for the rest of the school year. Uh, my last Sunday will be June 29th. And so I'll be able to just kind of spend the next five months just hanging out with you all and uh, um, having some good times before I leave. So Okay. And uh, we have a great uh, staff for youth, volunteers, uh, Mary, yeah. others. And so our youth are in good hands. I know you're working in transition. And uh, soon we'll begin the prayerful search for whom God would have come to, to work with our youth here at Community yeah. Covenant. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So uh, this is this is uh, a goodbye, but not for a long time. And it's not goodbye for always, but just for a while. But the Lord is sending you, and that's an important part of your life, is yeah. in your ministry, is getting equipped and going to seminary. So uh, uh, you're not leaving, we're sending. <laughs> and the Lord is going to bless you with a wonderful education to further equip you to do what we have enjoyed uh, these many, many years here at Community Covenant. So we just want to say we thank you. Uh, we love you. And there'll be time for goodbyes later on. But let's pray. Father, I, I thank you for Pastor for Jeff. And Lord, as a congregation, we celebrate his faithfulness, his commitment to our youth. We thank you for the ways that he has touched our youth and their families. Father, thank you that you have called him to a a new chapter in his life, a chapter of equipping, a chapter in which he'll be attending seminary and how you will work in him so that you can work through him in the years ahead. And so, Father, uh, as Pastor Jeff prepares to leave, uh, we know that you're faithful and that you will provide just the right person uh, and the right leadership uh, for our youth. And so, Lord, we commit him to you. We thank you that we have several months left uh, to partner with him before we have to say goodbye. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Good morning. Our scripture reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. 
One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. Now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, Look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, Silver or gold, I do not have. But what I do have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Well, I tell you, every week I'm having a new Alaska experience. This week was a trip to a gun store here uh, in Alaska, in the Anchorage area specifically. Uh, it was amazing. Uh, you know, they, they welcomed me, a former Californian, with open arms. The first thing they said when they learned I was from California was, Welcome to freedom. <laughs> and then, uh, as I was looking at the revolvers in the display case, and there was one I had a particular interest in I'd never seen before. It was called Smith & Wesson 500. It was like a, a cannon that you hold in your hand. Right? Definitely not for the faint of heart. Uh, the, the gentleman behind the counter went like this. He went, Can you smell it? And I said, Smell what? He said, Liberty, it's all in the air. <laughs> so they, they had a good time with the Californian, former Californian. I'm telling you, Lori says I had to write a blog or I had to just keep a journal of, of all my, uh, uh, new Alaska experiences. So I am enjoying Alaska and every week there's something new. With that being said, you know, uh, as we're talking, about what it means to live a spirit-filled life in the world for Jesus Christ, what it means to get up every morning and say, here I am, God, just like the prophet Isaiah. Send me. What does that mean? Well, the implications are he may send you to Alaska to a, a gun store in downtown Anchorage. Okay? Uh, he may send you to work uh, with a conversation with a co-worker. He may uh, send you to school. Uh, whether you're teaching or you're a student, uh, and there you are His representative and Christ shines in you and through you. Uh, it could be in your neighborhood. It might even be in your family. But our God is ascending God. And that's clear as we, we read in the book of Acts, 
The Father sends the Son, right? The Son sends the Spirit, and the Spirit comes upon His first followers, and He is in, they are then that sent into the world. And uh, we're all a part of that. But I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, okay, we're in the book of Acts. Pastor Todd's going to lay down on us some type of evangelistic program that we're all going to have to get in, involved with. And, and I know there are a few things in a church that make people as uncomfortable uh, as the word evangelism. Uh, because it has with it all kinds of connotations. Uh, of what you think that you're going to have to to force yourself to do, or you know you're around what a, a square peg, and and somehow the church is going to hammer you through this uh, round hole called evangelism. Uh, well, I want to put you at ease. That that's not our intention. Uh, I think that some of you are saying, "Okay, where's the catch?" It's like the the sermon on stewardship, right? Hold on to your wallet. You're you're kind of thinking, "All right, where's the catch?" Well, I want to show you a video uh, about uh, evangelism. And I'm showing this to you to put you at ease and to let you know that, that we have no such intentions here at a Community Covenant. Let's, let's look at the video. Here at the National Institute for Student Ministries, we've discovered a new method of evangelism that is shaking the very foundation of our thinking. It may appear unorthodox, but frankly, we're shocked with the results. We're amazed at this revolutionary idea, especially designed to boost student evangelism. Why did I want to be the evangelism linebacker? Well, let me put it to you like this. Yeah, baby! Next time I'm going to hit you so hard, you're going to flight. NASA's going to think I didn't launch a satellite. You see, as a fish was created to swim in water, as a bird was created to fly, I was created to knock people out who don't evangelize. The evangelism linebacker deals directly with a variety of students' fears associated with sharing their faith. All right, it's all you. This house has got your name on it. I'm not ready yet. What makes you think I'm ready, though? Fear of rejection, for example. Let me talk to you about fear. Fourth and one, Jerry Rice, what you gonna do? That don't compare to fourth and one in eternity. It doesn't matter who rejects us because we're always accepted by Christ. God loves you. Get off the flow and go door to door. Can we talk to you for a minute? I'm a lover, not a fighter, baby. He loves you, but it might hurt. Sometimes I'll blow you up, but it's because I love you. Yeah, but just because I'm a Christian doesn't mean I need to be out sharing my faith. I mean... Ah! Don't you run from me! You can't escape my class! Declare and throw you in the trash! Thanks to the evangelism linebacker, campus evangelism nationwide is up 87%. Hey, I can't go to the outreach today. I got, I just got some more important things I got to do. Uh huh. Hey, man, give me a break. I went to church on Sunday. I gotta go. Selfishness. The world needs a message. For God to love the world, He wants to communicate it through you. If you procrastinate, you will open up the gate to a beatdown. Give me that phone, boy. When I see selfishness, it is my job to blow them up. That's what I do. I blow them up so that they can get their eyes off of self and look at Christ, the prize. What's up, baby girl? Nah, I'm busy. We're intrigued, 
as the linebacker is particularly effective in infiltrating centers of cultural and intellectual exchange. Here you go. Here's your double cappuccino latte mocha with a twist. Not too hot, not too cold. Perfect for you. Anyway, man, did you hear that talk from that guy the other night? Oh, I know. Like, we were supposed to be sharing our faith in, like, coffee shop. Whoa! Uh, Whoa! Shut out in a coffee shop, baby! You next! It's unlikely that the recent decline in coffee sales has anything to do with our program. Pride comes before the fall. That's Old Testament. Old Testament, you know this. Thanks for the coffee, Darren. Hey, you're welcome. Have a nice day. Your mama raised you better than this boy. Don't let me blow you up no more. You see, I think it's fitting because when people have pride, that they're too prideful to share their faith, what I do is I knocks the pride out of them. What I would like to communicate to my brothers and sisters is this. When you least expect Around the corner, perhaps even under your bed, I can be in a phone wire. I can be everywhere and just know that I'm always watching. Ready to lay the boom on you, baby. Booyah! Ouch. Are you ready for game day? <laughs> yeah, that's all right. Uh, I can assure you the evangelism linebacker is not here today at Community Covenant. Um, but we laugh at that because, again, you know, we, we have this resonant fear that what is evangelism? And what I want to talk to you today is just to look again in the scripture at the book of Acts. And I, I want to suggest to you uh, that evangelism is no more than living in the world intentionally for Jesus uh, to allowing his life to live in you and through you and to be very intentional about engaging the world and the places that he's called you to live. Every single one of us has a network. Every single one of us has a sphere of influence. And God's intention is that you would live for Christ wherever it is that you're present. And that his presence in you and through you literally touches the lives of those around you. Now, not in a forceful way, uh, not as an evangelism linebacker, but by just being you, by just allowing Christ to live through you. In our passage this morning, Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10, we see this, this great event, this miracle, actually, that happens. Uh, now, as we've read in Acts chapter 2, we, we see the church has come together, uh, that thousands of people are coming to faith uh, in the Lord, and that they're gathered together, and they're, they're studying, and they're, they're listening to the apostles' teaching, they're, they're enjoying uh, a communion together, they're having these great meals, these love feasts, uh, there's this great Christian community uh, that we read about as we close out there, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Uh, and in there it says, All the people were in awe at the, the marvelous, miraculous things that were taking place through the apostles. And they were just celebrating the Lord and, and they had favor with all the people. And of course that was accounting for uh, the numbers that were coming the numbers that were becoming followers of Jesus. 
And as, as we think about that, we think about all these people as they were gathered together and as we're going to read on soon in the book of Acts, they're going to be scattered. And they're going to take all the things that they've learned. They're going to, they're going to take their spirit-filled lives and they're going back to their places uh, where they had come from for the Feast of, of Pentecost. And they're going to begin to share. And the Christian faith is going to spread uh, throughout the region and throughout, indeed, of the known world at that time. Uh, and it's going to be done in a very natural way as people go back to their context and they live in the context of where God has placed them. And the same is true with you and me. And what we see here in the book of Acts as it relates to the apostles and, and, and these, these signs or these wonders, these miracles that, that they're going to, they're going to display is that there is a demonstration, a demonstration of the rule and reign of God through Jesus Christ. And that demonstration comes in power. And in this instance, in our chapter today, it's a person being healed publicly. But then following the demonstration, there's an announcement. And, and so we see that. So we have the attesting miracle, the miracle that attests to the truth that's about to be announced. And then beginning in verse 11 and following in chapter 3, we're, we're going to see another great evangelistic sermon uh, from Peter. In fact, it is going to be so powerful and so effective that as we move into chapter 4, we see the Jewish officials sitting up, taking notice and saying, oh my goodness, we thought we were finished with this Jesus. Now look what's happening. Look at these people. Look what they're doing in Jesus' name. And so here we are in Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. What I want to suggest to you is that in our lives, there's demonstration that we're called to live in the world for Jesus Christ. And how we conduct ourselves, the way we interact with people, the relationships we build, uh, all of those are very intentional so that we might demonstrate the reality of the risen Lord. That He is alive. And that He has given His Spirit to us. And His Spirit indwells us. And because we're indwelt by His Spirit, our very character and nature is, is transformed into the image of our Savior. And we become Christ-like. And, and our lives begin to take on the characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, self-control. And people look at us and, and there's a difference. That, that we're different. That we respond to people. We respond to life circumstances differently than others do. In fact, in 2 Peter 1.4, it says that we become partakers in Christ's divine nature as we're filled with His Spirit, as He lives in us and through us. That the, the very character of Christ is, is transplanted into our lives. And so, we don't have to be evangelists and linebackers. We don't have to fear that we're a part of a church where we're going to get hammered into some type of of program that just doesn't feel natural to us. What I want to encourage you today is that the Lord wants to work in your life right where you are, just as you are, as the person He created you to be. And that in that context, 
He wants you to live your faith out loud. He wants you just to be who you are and live in the world for Christ. But we have to live with awareness. We have to live with our eyes open. We have to be intentional to engage the world out there that God has placed us in. In 1953, Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzig Norgay became the first people to ascend the 29,035-foot peak of Mount Everest. But they were not the last. Now, as of 2006, which is several years ago, more than 2,700 people have reached the summit of the world's tallest mountain, many of them paying over $60,000 for the experience. One result of this commercial influx has been the erosion of the traditional moral code of mountaineering. In the rush to the top, amateurs who have paid a fortune for the bragging rights will do anything it takes to get to the summit, including abandoning other climbers. David Sharp became a casualty of this modern mentality in March 2006. The 34-year-old engineer from Cleveland did manage to reach the summit on his own. However, he ran out of oxygen on the way down, 980 feet from the top. As he lay dying, 40 climbers passed by him, too eager to achieve their own goals to take a chance on using up their oxygen on someone else. As a result, David Sharp froze to death. According to Ed Vestras, who has scaled all 14 of the world's highest mountains, Sharp's death is not unique. Passing people who are dying is not uncommon. Unfortunately, there are those who say, it's not my problem. I've spent all this money and I'm going to the summit. This attitude has produced disgust in many climbers, including Sir Edmund Hillary. On my expedition, he said, there was no way you would have left a man under a rock to die. Think about the implications. Think about the applications for you and I as followers of Jesus Christ. That as we go out into the world, as we we live our lives, do we stop And do we really take notice of those around us? Are are we really aware of people's physical condition? Of people's spiritual condition? Does it really matter to us what's going on down the street, let alone next door or across the street or somewhere in the Anchorage Bowl? Really? One of the things that that I've discovered here in Alaska is during the wintertime, most people go to work or to school or to church. They go home, up goes the garage door opener, in goes the car, the garage door opener goes down. And people say, but wait till spring. That's when everybody connects and they're friendly. But how easy it is just to be cloistered in our own world. And of course, the spiritual application is this. Yes, I'm a follower of Jesus. And yes, I'm indwelt in His Spirit. And yes, I'm a part of a, a wonderful Acts 2, 42 through 47 community. 
But how easy it is for me to leave this place and go out in the world completely unaware or not wanting to be aware of what's going on out here in the world around me. In the workplace, in school, in the neighborhood, in the service organization, wherever I am, how easy it is is just to to look here and not here. I, I get that. I remember uh, when I became the area director for prison fellowship in Northern California. It was amazing how it had all transpired. Uh, it seemed like one day I was the part-time junior high director and part-time custodian at a local church. And like in a blink of an eye, I'm walking through the halls of the Capitol, the state Capitol in California with Chuck Colson. And I'm sitting in, in, in Senate hearings on corrections or I'm, I'm going to the offices of assembly people or, or state senators with, with, with Chuck. And I'm saying to myself, how in the world did I get here? How did I go from relative obscurity to this position of importance, rubbing shoulders with important people? Wow, isn't this great? And you know what? I began to think that too. I was an important guy. I had a large ministry in Northern California. I was connected with hundreds of churches and, and pastors and, and Christian leaders in the, in the Christian community and the business community all through the area. I mean, I had arrived. One day, Lori and I were, we were walking to, to get lunch together. It was in December and in, Sacramento can get cold and, and the fog settles in and it's that damp kind of a cold. And we're walking to this little Japanese restaurant, one of our favorite places to eat. And as we were walking, across the street from my office is a park. It's known as Gallo Park because that's where all the, the winos, if you will, hang out. They've cleaned it up since then, but back in the day, it was a pretty rough place. I remember walking down the street with Lori busy. We were in the midst of our angel tree program, our our big Christmas program. We had to get gifts to 3,500 children of prison inmates that first year. And saying, look at this, Lori, isn't this disgusting? Here we are in the shadows of of the capital of the, well, at that time I thought, the greatest state in the nation. And look at all these winos, these drunkards, these, these, these derelicts. Why in the world doesn't somebody do something about them? And off we walked into the restaurant. Well, we ordered and we sat down and it wasn't long after that that all of a sudden this homeless man, probably a park resident, came bursting to the door. I'm hungry. Oh, I'm hungry. Please, somebody, please give me something to eat. And Lori, with the look that only a wife can give her husband, looked at me as if to say, okay, big shot. What are you going to do about this now? And I would like to say I was motivated by the Spirit, but it was by my the conviction of my wife's look. And I got up just when they were about to throw the man out of the restaurant. I said, Excuse me, he's with us. We walked up to the counter. I said, what would you like to order? 
And the man picked a, a teriyaki chicken rice something or another. And he reached into his pocket and he, he pulled it out kind of dog-eared and this change fell. He wanted to pay what he could. I said, no, 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 you just put the money away. I'll, here, I'll pay for it. He's eating with me. And so he sat down with us and then his food came. Now you would have thought he would have devoured that food, but but he didn't. All he wanted to do was talk to us. So he'd, he'd take a, a bite of the rice and the chicken, he'd chew on it a little bit, and then it was his, he had just a few teeth in his, in his mouth, and he'd talk, and the little kernels would fire out us, little rice, like, like, like missiles. Right? Now I like to say, I was like Peter, who would say, you know, silver and gold I do not have, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus. Right? All I wanted to do, the man just wanted to talk, I just want to say in the name of Jesus, shut up and eat. I mean, that, that was really my attitude. Uh, hardly what we see here. But what we see in our passage today, really, is prescriptive for us. About how we are going to interact, how, how we are going to be aware of the world in which we live and take advantage of the opportunities that come our way rather than looking over them and expecting somebody else to do it. Because God has placed you where you are to be Jesus' hands and feet, to be His representative. Even as those in the first church, in this case, Peter and John are, and that that by your demonstration, you would have an opportunity to announce the rule and reign of God through Jesus Christ. So, Peter and John were following Jesus' model. Let's look at Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. It says, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of what? The kingdom, the rule and reign of God, and healing every disease and sickness. That, those are the attesting miracles. That's the demonstration in this case. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Right? Looking upon these, these Jews who had been abandoned by the shepherds of Israel left to fend for themselves spiritually, excluded. He said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into the harvest field. And so we see two things here that are present in Jesus' ministry, actually three, that are present here in the ministry of Peter and John in Acts 3, 1 through 10. Because they're doing what Jesus had taught them. What He had modeled for them. Number one, if we're going to be effective for Jesus in the world, and we're going to live like Jesus, as He lives in and through us, right? We have to see the need. We can't look over it. We can't look around it. We can't look down in front of it. We have to look right at it. We have to see the need. It says here, when Jesus saw the crowds, right? He saw the need. But then he, he did something else. It said, he had compassion on them. Compassion. 
he felt the need. You see, it's one thing to see the need. It's another thing to feel the need. To feel the need is to to do more than just acknowledge it exists and that's your need and I'm glad you're feeling it. Feeling the need means having empathy. Entering into that person's place in life. That's key in relationship, isn't it? As we build relationships with people. That we acknowledge, that we see the need and that we feel the need. That we enter into that place where they are in life. And it's not enough to say it affects them, it affects us too. And so Jesus, He saw the need. Then He felt the need. And then He responded to the need. And if we're going to do that, there's three things we need to do. Three things that we see Peter and John doing in our passage today. Number one, we see the need. How? Not through our own eyes, but through the eyes of Jesus. Through Jesus' eyes. And oh, we pray, oh God, that I might see my world through Jesus' eyes. Right? But then we feel the need with the heart of Jesus. We see the need through Jesus' eyes. We feel the need through the heart of Jesus. Oh, that He would give us His heart. And oh, what a different place the world would be if His followers who claim His name saw through His eyes and felt through His heart. How different our lives might be. How differently we might respond. Not as an evangelism linebacker, but just as the person God created you to be where He's placed you in the world. And then the third thing we see here as a response to the need. Peter and John, they, they see the man. They stop and they take notice. And what do they say? Look at me. Look at me. Alright? They didn't look over, around, or down. They looked right at it. They saw the need. And with the heart of compassion, with the heart of Jesus, They acted. They acted on the need. Now, ostensibly, this man was was a beggar. He was a person who was set in front of the the gate called Beautiful. That was a a wonderful gate there at the court of women that faced to the east. It was a beautiful bronze gate. They said the most magnificent gate. Looking across to the court of Israel where women and, and sick people would not be allowed to go. And it was a custom to, to sit people who were, um, had deformities or, or, or who had defects and they would place them there and they would beg and, and people would drop money and give them money. But Peter and John knew this man had a greater need. It was not just his physical challenge, he had a spiritual challenge as well. And so in the demonstration, in the healing, there's also going to be an opportunity for what? Announcement. To get at the spiritual need, not only of that man, but of all that are present, that are witnessing. Because the real need is, they need to become followers of Jesus. But they they see with the eyes of Jesus. They feel with the heart of Jesus. And then they act. They respond to the, 
to the need in the name of Jesus. Do you realize that as we live our life in the world, and as we are intentional about looking with the eyes of Jesus, about feeling with the heart of Jesus, and about responding in the name of Jesus, we are literally acting as if Jesus were doing it Himself. In the ancient world, when you said, I do this in Jesus' name or in the name of Jesus, it quite literally would have meant that the person whose name I'm mentioning is actually doing this on your behalf. Wow. And we think of all the opportunities we have to demonstrate in how we live. Because we have the eyes of Jesus. We have the heart of Jesus. And we respond to the need in Jesus' name. That's exactly what's happening here. 1 Peter 3.15 and 16 says this, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord, always being prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. Do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Oh, that we would live our lives in such a way in the world that we would distinguish ourselves because we have the eyes of Jesus, the heart of Jesus, and we respond to need as Peter and John did in Jesus' name, in His authority and power, as He does it in us and through us. That people would look at us and want to know the reason so that we have demonstration and we have announcement. Both are present here in the lives of Peter and John and their ministry and in the lives of those first followers of Jesus as they move out into the world. And so the question is, can you spare some change? Not change in the, in the sense of money, but, but change in the sense of how you engage your world. Can you spare some change? Are you willing to allow the Holy Spirit of God to move you and to live in a different way? That people would come and want to know the reason for the hope that you have in your life. That's what happens here. And there's a magnificent sermon that follows. But I have to share something with you in closing. That sometimes it's not the person we're ministering to that that gets the blessing, it's us. Remember that man? as he was spitting out rice and chicken particles. And I was in a hurry to get back to doing something really important because I was a Christian big shot. Right? He pulls out this dog-eared, old, raggedy pocket Bible. And he turns it to 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and follow. And he begins to read to Lori and me this scripture. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who comforts us so that we might comfort others with the same comfort which we have received from Him. And then He said this, and it cut me to the core. Will you sign my Bible? He says, only people who love me sign my Bible. And oh, that day, my life was changed. Not for what I did, but because of what Jesus did through that man who I thought had nothing to offer me. Because he saw me with Jesus' eyes. 
Because he recognized my need with Jesus' heart. And because he touched me in the name of Jesus. That man gave me a model of ministry that's right here in our scripture today. But it shouldn't surprise you or me. Because you know what the scripture says in Matthew 25? As often as we do these things, right? We do it unto who? Jesus. On that day, through that man, Jesus ministered to me. Can you spare some change? Let's pray. Our gracious Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the reminder of what you've called us to. To be salt and light. To live a life that people would want to know. The reason for the hope that lies within us. Lord, would you change our perspective? Would you give us the eyes of Jesus to see need? Would you give us the heart of Jesus to feel that need? And would you give us the boldness to respond in the name of Jesus and His power and His authority that all might know that our God reigns. Father, we thank You and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.